out on a hike today at a trail near my house. It's peaceful. I started walking and hiking about a week and a half after my stent procedure. I mean, that's not actually entirely true. I've always gone on hikes. I've always taken my kids on hikes. Even when my twins were like three years old, I would take them on hikes before I had this heart thing. It's a a fun free activity. But I definitely upped my game. I upped my hiking and walking game so much after this. Mainly because... The following week, I was still in a lot of pain. But then once I started feeling better, both physically and mentally, about the whole situation, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go get healthy, because I don't want this to happen again. This strange pressure built in my chest. Whenever the appearance of the artery gets very small, that's an indication for... A this is really scary and really serious. Stents are a widely accepted medical procedure for cardiovascular care. New Year's Eve, I was laying on the couch just out of commission. My first week home was tough. New Year's Eve came and went with me being sick on the couch. What a way to ring in 2023. <coughs> on top of that, I was feeling a lot of worry. A few days after I got home from the hospital, I would just lay on the couch or lay in bed each night and just be awake all night. Yeah, I was in physical pain. My arm was like stinging all up my arm into my shoulder. But I was also just like, am I okay? Is something going to happen? Am I going to wake up tomorrow if I close my eyes? It was almost like I was trying to stay awake just so I knew I was alive and going to be okay. The biggest thing I see is either the patient or their family, it's this fear. It's the fear factor that I can't live a normal life, that I'm going to die and I've all of a sudden turned into an old man or an old woman or something like that. And I think that what we try to do is turn this event uh, into a positive. I'm Dr. Ajay Kirthne, a interventional cardiologist and professor of medicine at Columbia University Medical Center, also an affiliated physician for the Cardiovascular Research Foundation. The first half of the series focused on the diagnosis and treatment of Bill Fitzpatrick as a heart disease patient. Now we're pivoting to life after treatment, to life of living with heart disease. The fact that Bill is starting off this episode hiking through the woods is another testament to the impact of modern medicine as it relates to cardiovascular care. As you'll hear from clinical experts in this episode, a heart disease diagnosis is not a death sentence. If anything, you can live a fully functional life with heart disease if managed correctly through medicine, exercise, and lifestyle changes. Not all of them are easy. Not all of them are fun. As Fitz will be the first to tell you, he misses bacon in the worst way. But they're necessary to be able to maintain a comfortable, healthy life for years and decades to come. MMM, in conjunction with Cardiology Advisor, a Haymarket Media publication, presents Me and My Heart. Me and My Heart. Me and My Heart. Me and My Heart. Episode 3.
A couple of days after my procedure, the fear did get to me. The pain was, it was pretty excruciating. I think I can say that. It was a weird stinging, burning feeling all the way up my arm into, not into my heart, but stuck all up to the shoulder. I didn't feel normal. I didn't feel right. And I didn't know if it was normal. And Google was not giving me the responses that I wanted when I tried to Google it. So I called my doctor and they said, you know, if you want to come get checked out, we need to send an ambulance for you since you just had a heart procedure. I was like, oh, all right, send the ambulance. I ended up going to the ER, got checked, stayed overnight in the hospital hallway. And in the morning, the ER cardiologist told me everything seemed fine. I'm just a little on the younger side, which I like to hear. And the doctor said that my artery is probably not as elastic as maybe a 72-year-old's. For any patients that has had symptoms prior to having a heart stent procedure or a bypass surgery or something like that, um, it's important to remember what those initial symptoms felt like because often, if it's going to happen again, it'll manifest in the same way. The problem with that, though, is it makes patients extremely anxious because they're kind of waiting for that to happen, and it can happen anytime, and, and people almost live in fear. Uh, I know of scenarios where we have family members who are sort of watching the patient as they breathe at night because they're afraid the patient's going to you know, not, not wake up. And it's hard to tell them, but what we really want to say is you're basically the same person you are that, that you were a week before. It's just we now know we have a diagnosis and we've treated it. So I think that um, over time, the, those things can be uh, kind of incorporated into the way people think about themselves. I also feel like it's really helpful for people to remain very active because if you have um, a new heart blockage or there's you know blockage within the stent itself, that usually manifests as a decrease in your ability to do exercise. So um, if you're, let's say, you know walking 30 minutes a day at a certain pace, People will generally notice that, you know, maybe I can't walk at that same pace or I can't walk for as long. And those are signs that maybe there's something going on. For the patients that have no symptoms at all and it came out of the blue, um, in some cases that's even more concerning, but that's also why it's really important to stay as active as we can be. It's hard to help patients not feel identified by their disease, not to feel like, you know, in I wake up and all I have to think about is how to manage my heart disease. Chen Fang is a clinical strategist, team lead, and manager at Cardiology Advisor, a Haymarket Media publication. The challenging part is giving them the skills to just have it be ingrained in the new version of who they are. The new you is to choose a healthier breakfast. The new you is to, you know, after work, have a routine of going to the gym once a day uh, for an hour a day. And I always find that that's the hard part of reintegration. And then also thinking about like, okay, I have to go to my cardiologist on this day and have my PCP on this day. I think when I see patients falling off the wagon or just not keeping up with their care, it's the complication of heart disease as a whole, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just you take one tablet a day and you're going to be fine. I've been on blood pressure pills for a long time already, about, I'm going to guess almost 10 years, maybe. High blood pressure runs in my family. My older brother was on pills since he was 28. My dad's been on pills since he's in his 30s. And I should have been on pills in my 20s, but I waited till I was in my 30s. But that was only two pills. Heart disease now pushed my two daily pills up to five daily pills. I think that's officially grandpa status. In addition to the blood pressure meds, I started taking Plavix, which I only took for three months. Low-dose aspirin, 
and a nightly statin. Honestly, I was just prescribed these pills. I had no idea what really any of them did. Basically, when you put a stent in the bloodstream, the stent is a foreign body, and the blood's inherent tendency is to clot on that stent. It's just like if you, you know, cut yourself, you, you want to basically heal that injury. And the same thing's true when you put a stent in, you stretch the artery, and there's a tendency to do that. So the aspirin and the Plavix work together. They're both sort of these blood thinner type of medications to prevent that clotting from occurring. And that's especially critical in that early period. So for that initial period, that's why it's really critical to be on both aspirin and Plavix. And in the whirlwind of what's happened, that has gotten forgotten. Uh, there were some early studies early in the stent days where, you know, almost 10% of patients were not on their aspirin or their Plavix because it wasn't emphasized so much. And I'm sure that they emphasized that to you. You can now, with the safer stents, the newer technologies, come off of some of those blood thinners. And one of the things that people don't think about physicians is we just add medicine, right? We just write prescriptions and tell you to take them. But I personally like to only recommend the medicines that patients need. So just like you did, I would typically stop either the aspirin or the Plavix at three months for a stable patient. If you've had a heart attack, we typically wait a little bit longer to do that. The medicines that people also might be on are like statins or cholesterol-lowering medications. Unfortunately, that's a lifer. And the reason that's a lifer is because whatever it was that caused this plaque to become as severe as it was, it needs to be stabilized and in some cases regress further. And it's not just at the area we've treated, it's in other areas of the heart arteries too. And so the statins are clearly beneficial in terms of doing that. There are other cholesterol-lowering agents as well that can do that. And we try to get your bad cholesterol or your LDL to a goal of, you know, under 55 or so. And that's way lower than most people are used to. Like internal medicine docs might try to get your LDL less than 130 or 100. But when you have a stent, it's got to be less than 55, in some cases, you know, even lower. So... That Those are the key required medications. And so I tell patients typically beyond that three-month period, you're going to be on aspirin and a statin or aspirin, some cholesterol-lowering medicine. The medications we have are so powerful that heart function is being improved from, from being nothing to being normal. And we're seeing that just with the innovations in medication. Hi, I'm Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum. I'm a preventive cardiologist with a focus on women and cardiovascular disease. But with the heart, it is such a mechanical organ that our treatment strategies around improving the mechanism with other devices, that these devices can actually make the heart function stronger. So from prevention to treatment strategies, we're at an incredible place when it comes to treating and improving the status of heart health in this country. The week it happened, I stopped eating like garbage, stopped eating meat, stopped eating sugar, and I put down the booze totally. I'm, a guy who enjoyed all different styles of beer. All that stuff. Cut it out of my diet. Went on a strictly vegan diet. It was time to get back to life. And actually, it was time to... Kind of, in a way... Start a new life. Generally speaking, heart-healthy diets... You really just want to reduce 
your overall carbs. Most people probably could lose some weight um, as well. The way to do that is to do calorie restrictions and know exactly what you're putting in. But also people get a little bit, or family members sometimes even get a little bit crazy with it. They'll sort of say, you need to change everything about yourself. You know, now you have heart disease. And once again, that just, you know, really makes people depressed. I think that it's good to do that in the motivated patient. Um, but you, you can't do, you know, all these things at the same time to somebody because psychologically it can really mess with you. And I don't know if you had that experience as well. Like there's this desire to do everything at the same time. You know, what's funny about that is it was the opposite. My family was telling me I don't have to stop doing this, this, and this, and I stopped doing everything. I stopped okay. eating okay. meat. I look at cholesterol and everything now. I stopped with sugar. I went hardcore into everything, and I lost like 40 pounds in like a month and a half, I think, which was crazy because I wasn't even really that overweight at all. You're the ideal patient. You're self-motivated. You're going to take it positively, not negatively. There's actually a pretty... Um, reasonable instance of people who have depression, for instance, after a heart attack. So if you didn't have a heart attack, it was caught early, you're good. Other folks that have had heart attacks, often, you know, they have depression, like clinical depression afterwards. And so every patient's different. Um, you have to work with the patient and the family, but it's more than just the procedure. It's all this other aspect of the post-procedural care, which I think you've probably found to be pretty rewarding. Yeah. And it's amazing how differently you feel when you actually do change your diet totally to a fully plant-based diet and how quickly though I wasn't, I mean, I was trying to lose weight, but honestly, I was just trying to keep all the bad fats and the cholesterol right. out of my body. And that in turn, it turned into dropping weight and feeling a lot healthier. Some of which I've gained back now that I know how unhealthy even a vegan diet can be if yeah, you're just yeah. eating pizza and stuff right. every day. That's a super important point that you make, though, that really needs to be emphasized because people assume that certain diets are going to be better. But if you go vegan and you don't cut the carbs and you substitute everything for carbs, it's it's actually not that great. And you, by the way, you can get you know protein malnutrition at the same time. So everything you do has got to be thoughtful. The one thing that I always remind people is that the heart is, it's so intelligent. It is so, as an organ, focused on getting healthy and that we have medication that can get the heart healthier. Exercise is the most potent medication, if I can call it that to really improve cardiac function, to improve the health of the arteries. So living with heart disease is on a daily basis, something that needs to be addressed by the one who's living with it. Following his stent procedure, Bill worked from home for a week. But even during that time, he knew he was gonna come back to our offices here in Chelsea. Bill wasn't starting a new life, but he was resuming his life in a new direction. Got back to work after about a week of being home. I was still pretty anxious from the whole thing, but I needed some kind of normalcy, so it was good to get on the train. Got into the office, and although I hadn't even been at Haymarket for a year at that point, everybody was coming up to me, coworkers, leadership team, asking me how I'm doing. I was explaining to them my three months of symptoms that led up to this point because I'm an open book and I do it to try to get people to listen to their own bodies just in case they're feeling anything strange. Then I dove back in, designed a studio. I was installing some raised flooring 
furniture, gear. Well, a couple of people were telling me to uh, take it easy. I think they were worried about my health. And the, the workload, the amount of content that I was producing was starting to really rev up as the year and the month, I should say, went on. Now, if it wasn't enough that Bill went through months of cardiovascular ailments, ultimately culminating in stent procedure, it gets even worse. In mid-February, he's diagnosed with COVID for the second time. I got COVID like a month after, like a month after having the procedure. And it was, it was as bad of a case of COVID as I've had. The fatigue was bad. I was nervous. So I called my cardiologist. He's like, monitor it. There's not really much we can do. You have COVID. Again, don't forget I had it the first time, which could be the cause for plaque buildup in arteries now. As the doctors that we interviewed for this podcast series can attest, COVID not only has a profound impact on your respiratory system, but also on your cardiovascular system as well. People who had COVID, no matter what age, their risk of heart events, clotting has gone up exponentially. This idea of long COVID, part of that is cardiac related. And I don't think we've all made that connection quite yet, but we have to because the, the playing field is now being leveled. Now it's affecting all of us, and we have to address it in a really different way than we have in the past. Definitely during the, you know, the big chunk of COVID time, we saw a lot of patients that were coming in with blood clots that were in their legs, blood clots in the lungs. Um, there was a slight uptick in patients being diagnosed with heart attacks as well, and that probably all comes from uh, an increased risk of COVID having like a, you're creating thrombus or blockages from blood clots. My name is Bro Focolari. I'm an interventional cardiologist. Uh, I practice in Chicago, Illinois. Why that was the case, we really still don't understand, but most likely it, it created some type of inflammatory response within the whole body, which can increase the risk of blood clots being formed. So we did see a big uptick of uh, increased blood clots, not only just during patients who were diagnosed with COVID, but there was even an uptick even after patients were getting COVID vaccinations, that even the vaccine itself, sometimes we would see a patient coming in two weeks later with a blood clot somewhere in their body who had really no other medical issues that would make you think that they should have this blood clot in the first place. So once we started looking at kind of what we were seeing on a day-to-day -day basis, we started to understand that there is some risk of blood clots forming from COVID. We really don't have the full understanding as to why that is. And so we are now, the medications have become a lot better. Uh, we're giving medicines a lot faster. So we're not seeing as much of those blood clots forming in patients with COVID because we're just really doing a better job of diagnosing it quickly and treating it quickly. In mid-spring, Bill is back in the office like anybody else. Only this time, he's recovered from his second bout of COVID, has a stent in his artery, and is down about 40 pounds. Oh, it's not over yet. <laughs> COVID. Yeah, I got through COVID. Most of us have had it, so we know how bad that is. Trying to get back to work, and I started having this weird thing where every time I stood up, I felt so dizzy. I came so close to passing out almost every single time, including at the office. And you know how it is when you first start getting symptoms. You don't ignore it, but you're like, all right, maybe I just got up too fast. But I didn't. As it turns out, because I dropped so much weight so fast, 
My dose of blood pressure pills was too high, so I had to go to the emergency room again. But that was a quick emergency room visit. That was just for them to take my vitals, as recommended by my cardiologist, who who was closed because I went on a Saturday. So they took my vitals, and then I went to the cardiologist, and he lowered the dosage. So I was good. So I'm back to work, not feeling like I'm going to faint every time I stand up. Recording, producing, editing, creating. So many podcasts across so many different brands that Haymarket Media has. While also still being a bit anxious, I'm I'm over the hump, but you know, still being very hyper aware of any minor pains or aches that I have within my chest. Life is happening all around me with children getting sick, as they do, as kids do, family members passing away, but still working to try to create truly remarkable content, which I think we did because we got nominated for a few awards, a couple of podcast awards, and we won. PR Week podcast, one for best podcast. That's the podcast that I was producing, editing, and voicing the night that I found out that I had a 90% blockage. We also won for McKnight's, McKnight's Newsmakers podcast. And I even got nominated for a Haymarket Media Award, which I won. Our second winner in the commercial excellence category is Haymarket Podcasting. Oftentimes, patients that experience heart disease and its symptoms feel like their life is over or that it will never be the same again. However, as we were told numerous times by clinicians that we interviewed for this podcast series, not only can you live with heart disease, you can excel with heart disease. Bill, the most amazing thing about what happened to you, you're not sick. You're going to be fine because it was caught You had a stent put in, you didn't have a massive heart attack, and you are going to be fine. And I think the question and the story and the narrative is, how do we take control of our own health all year round, not just February, because it matters more than anything else that we stay healthy. And that's gotta be the story. In some respects, it's the teachable moment that you wish you didn't have to have. But honestly, for many people, we can can come into the office and I can say you need to get your cholesterol down. But who wants to take a pill? Who wants to do all those other things? Sometimes when you have something like this happen, it serves as a very, very powerful motivator. It's interesting to hear you talk about that, because when we interviewed Dr. Steinbaum a few weeks ago, she had said something to that effect. She said, you are good you are you are a living example of what heart disease can be you've you've won in a sense because you didn't lose your life and you're not you know incapacitated or anything and it's so interesting to hear you talk about that where it's like there almost has to be this kind of positive reinforcement for patients so it's like hey you know life is not over you are not you know defeated in any sort of sense like there are ways that you're going to be able to live a fully functional life just understanding this is part of that life Yeah, and I've had the experience where you say those pretty much exact words to a patient and their family and and either somebody, the patient or the spouse, you know, breaks down crying because they just needed to hear a physician say that. Yeah, I have this saying, medicine, and there's obviously knowledge behind it and technology and all of that, but at its heart, it's common sense. 
And, you know, this is common sense human interaction where somebody has something like this and they're really freaking out. What did it mean to you to receive these awards after all that you had been through at the start of the year? I'm not one to usually seek out awards or recognition. I just want to know that the work that I'm doing is helping the people around me and the company succeed while also educating, entertaining, inspiring, and evoking emotion in our listeners. As dramatic as that sounds, that is why I am here as a creator. It's why I do what I do. But honestly, though, with the way 2022 ended and 2023 began, health-wise and with everything that has happened in my life, I think I kind of needed that. I think we all kind of need that. Whether you're going through health issues or not, we're going through life. And life is hard. And to get recognition for busting your ass every single day feels good. It feels even better knowing that I received these awards, being on a team with so many talented people, but so many good people. None of these awards have only my name on them, and that is rightfully so, because it takes such a huge collaborative effort to create the amazing things that we are creating. And I look forward to winning way more in the future as I plan on being around at least another 50 years. Is that crazy? But more importantly, to creating something for our audiences that will inspire them, educate them, or at least entertain them. my cardiologist's famous words to me, which made me feel a lot better, were, you're fixed. You didn't have a heart attack. You're fixed. You have no restrictions. Go live your life. Go running. Obviously be healthier. Go play with your kids and and have a good life. On the next episode of Me and My Heart. What happens if we pick up disease so early that we can actually reverse it before it manifests? Medical society, we're not really good about preventative care still, uh, especially with men. Most men in their 30s have never seen a doctor. There's certain things that you just can't fix. But what I can do for a patient is call their insurance and explain the situation. Be like, we need to get an override for this or what documentation do you need? to get this approved goes along with you know socioeconomic disparities other types of disparities and and it's just hard for people who are not in you know tri-state area to necessarily get the the care that they need 